Welcome to the award-winning Doing Customer Experience Right podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, a professional global speaker and CX expert. This show is about action over theory, focusing on applying proven strategies to deepen customer relationships and increase loyalty as your competitive advantage. Besides achieving better human and business outcomes, each episode aims to elevate your professional and personal growth too. To continue learning, please subscribe to my newsletter at doingcxright.com. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Marty Grunder to my show, who is known as the Entrepreneur of the Year and received other accolades that validate his deep knowledge about doing customer experience right. This episode zeroes in on the crucial skill of effective questioning to enhance customer engagement and loyalty. Marty and I share actionable insights on how to craft questions that reveal what customers really think and how these insights can lead to tangible improvements in your service delivery. Yes, net promoter score and PS is a core question, but that's not it alone. I'm so glad you're here as this episode will truly help you transform the way you communicate with customers and employees alike. Now, let's get started. Hello, Marty. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Thank you, Stacey. Excited to be with you today. Thanks for having me on. I am so happy to be here with you. And I am still getting to know you more as my audience will be. So share a little bit about who are you? What do you do professionally? Okay, well, thanks. So um, I do a couple things. I uh, started Grunder Landscaping Company. It'll be 40 years uh, this year, uh, 40 years ago, as a way to make money for college. I'm a graduate of the University of Dayton, which is Southwest Ohio. Um, I started another company, which today is known as the Grow Group. Um, the landscaping company does exactly what you might think. We do residential and commercial design, build, and maintenance. And the Grow Group works with the owners and leaders of landscaping companies all across the United States and Canada, using what we've learned in our 40 years of successfully running a landscaping company to help thousands of landscape contractors do the same thing. Mm. What is a fun fact people listening might not know about you? Well, I kind of already maybe alluded to it, but I, I started a business that was, by the time I was a senior at the University of Dayton in 1990, was doing half a million dollars a year in business, which my son asked me about that. He's 23 a couple of years ago. He said, did you really have a business doing half a million dollars a year when you were a senior in college, 22 years old? I said, yes, I did. He said, how did you do that? I said, I don't really know now. It didn't seem like that big of a deal at the time because, Stacy, I didn't have any money. My family didn't have any money. So um, that was the way that I lived and that was the way I paid for school. Mm. So you talked a little bit about the past. Then my question for you is based on what you know now that you didn't know at 20, what would you tell the younger you? At this point, there, man, we could probably take twenty hours on that. Um, I often tell people, you know, as a as a professional speaker as well, I, I often get asked to go into audiences and talk about my successes, and I say that's why they only gave me forty five minutes. If I were to talk about my failures, we'd be talking, you know, for months. So there's a ton of things, but I think maybe the biggest thing, um, Stacy, would be just 
the con- simple concept of asking for help. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was like a lot of young people, lacked confidence, was afraid to ask questions, was intimidated, um, and just didn't ask questions. And quite frankly, I should have, because once I realized the power of asking questions and seeking out other people that had done what you're trying to do, it, it sure as heck made success a lot easier to find. The power of asking questions. That is gold. We're going to go on that for a few minutes. Before we do, let's talk about customer experience. What does doing CX right mean to you? And does it have anything to do with asking the right questions? Oh, for sure it does. You know, I I think when you're selling a service, be it landscaping, home remodeling, (laughs) teeth whitening, an ice cream store, whatever it is, it's all about meeting what that customer wants. And, you know, we often, I think in business, think we know what the customer wants, but we probably don't. And you have to ask. You, It's not really a good idea in business to guess. You know, you, you can anticipate, you can do some things in the realm of customer service to, to try to guess. But at the end of the day, you know, like a basic question, like our team would ask clients, what color flowers do you like? You know, what what day of the week would you like for us to mow your lawn? Doesn't mean that we can do it on that day, but it is nice to interview and find out, you know, what you want. How would you like your steak done? Um, you know, uh, what level would you like your car clean? I mean, we, we could go on for days about the power of asking questions as it, result, as it relates to the power of a positive customer experience. So certainly asking questions goes a long, long way there. Absolutely. Now, your landscaping company won a lot of awards and you've been recognized as an entrepreneur of the year. So clearly you are asking the right questions and customers are appreciating that. What have you done to actually deliver on the customer expectations to be recognized? Well, you know, the thing is, I think, first of all, I'll give a little editorial comment. I think a lot of business owners make client satisfaction out way too hard. You had one of my great <laughs> friends and mentors on your wonderful program a few weeks ago, Joe Calloway. And Joe Calloway and I get along well, probably because we have a lot of the same philosophies. We both think that a lot of businesses make customer satisfaction too difficult. The customer calls you, call them back. If they have a dead plant in their yard, replace it. <laughs> I mean, we can go all the conferences in the world that we want, look for a magical silver bullet, the great new software piece, the brand new truck, the brand new piece of equipment, even the new employee, you know, all those things can help you do a better job. But at the end of the day, if you're not listening to the customer and if you're not addressing issues, if you're not asking if everything's okay, if you're not following up, if you're not always have in the back of your mind that that client may not be happy, a lot of the landscaping companies that we work with, Stacy here in the Grow Group, they'll have a receivable problem where they'll have amounts past due out 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And when I go and I look at their receivables, the first question I always ask is, do we have a, receiv- a, a receivable problem here or do we have a client satisfaction problem? Like me, I pay my bills. <laughs> the only reason I don't pay a bill is if I'm not happy. And you know, I've had numerous experiences just in the last year where... I wasn't happy. And and most of them had to do with silly little things. Um, you know, I, I subscribe to your newsletter. You keep sending me surveys asking me if I'm happy. 
I never got the newsletter. You, you never mailed it to me. And I've told your customer service rep repeatedly, and I get automated responses saying that we haven't heard from you, so we're going to close out the, the, the complaint. So I just think that if we reduce it much to what Joe Calloway was speaking to you about, the basic blocking and tackling that somebody's happy, just don't overcomplicate it. Make sure you're doing the little things right first. Yes, do the little things, get the basics right. <laughs> right. You talk about core values and relatability that your team has real world experience running a landscaping company and the importance of being relatable to clients and to prospects and to everyone you work with. Talk about some of those core values and what is important for listeners where they work. How does that impact the ability to be known and loved as a brand? Yeah, so we have two separate companies that I talked to you about. Relatability is actually a core value for the consultancy, the Grow Group. And the reason that that's a core value over there is Consultants are teachers. And if you as a teacher cannot put yourself in your client's shoes, in your student's shoes, I don't see how you're going to ever be able to educate them. Hmm. So us as teachers here in the Grow Group, and there's five people that work at the Grow Group, and then we have about six subcontractors that help teach our curriculum. We have to be able to understand what they're up against. It's the same thing in business at the landscaping company. That's not a core value at the landscaping company. That would fall under our uh, quality area uh, of, of the four core values we have at the landscaping company, which are quality, leadership, teamwork, and profitability. But relatability, and that is important, just in that <laughs> owners and leaders of any kind of organization, they get ahead by their ability to put themselves in their client's shoes, to put themselves in their coworkers' shoes the amount of emotional intelligence they have, that they realize it's not about them. And I think that's the biggest thing about customer service. You know, what I want as the owner in my yard that would make me happy may very well be dramatically different than what one of our clients want. And like you mentioned about asking questions, the power of that, but being relatable, I think, is a trait that good leaders have that, that they can, you know, if I have to go down to the basics with, with a new hire, I can do that. If I've got somebody that has a degree in horticulture, well, we can probably talk about something different. It's being able to assess the situation and provide good help by being relatable, by being aware, by seeing it from someone else's perspective. Great point. And that's where, again, the power of the questions come in because you don't know how to be relatable to the people that interact with your brand or work for your brand unless right. you get to know them and you have there's an art to asking the questions. There is. I mean, now that you say that, absolutely. I can't argue with that. <laughs> well, also think about when people do surveys and that's all questions for customers and sometimes employees too, how important it is that you ask the right questions in the feedback you're looking for because then you won't get the answers to drive the strategies. So can't say this enough where it, the questions and then being relatable and getting the information to serve better. It just all connects. Yeah. And, you know, along the lines of questions, I think, 
most times the simple ones work. You know, like here's here's a great question. And if you're familiar with the net promoter score, which I'm sure you are, would you refer us to a family or friend? I mean, for many companies that we work with in the Grow Group, that's the one question survey that they send their customers. Would you refer us to a family or friend? If the answer is yes, I'm not saying you shouldn't follow up or or assume that everything's great. But if the answer is no, you got to get to work to find out why. And you got to figure out why. Because if someone's not going to refer your company to a family or friend, that that does not bode well for your long-term future. Because I don't care what business you're in. It, it doesn't matter to me. Um, if you're not getting referrals or if you're not getting positive cascading um, conversations about your company to others, it's going to be very difficult to grow it. Yes. So I had the uh, founders and the inventors of the NPS score on my show. and oh, from, fabulous. From Bain. And um, what's also important to this topic is that a lot of times, if you just focus on the net promoter system, and most people do know what that is in terms of the promoters, and you talk about the detractors, the ones that would not recommend you, and absolutely you need to know why, there is that middle, those passives who have not chosen yet a side. They're not promoters. They're not detractors. And too often people don't ask them the questions. They don't look for ways to be relatable and connect. They just kind of skip over those and you cannot mm -hmm. do that. Right. I would agree with that. Besides net promoter score, which is a question. What are other questions that you like to ask to get a pulse of how your customers think and feel about you? The, the big one that we like to ask, and, and I'm proud to tell you, Stacey, I can't remember the last time that we got a negative response in this area, is a question to the customer around the attitude of the people that they worked with. How was your interaction with the crew? Uh, you know, I talk to my team all the time here at Grunder Landscaping, and I stress it when I teach workshops or I'm in to work one-on-one -on -one with the owner, or leader, the owner and leaders of landscaping companies. Ownership is not going to spend that much time with the client. They, they may spend an hour, two hours. If it's a really large job and there's a bunch of revisions back and forth, it, it may, there may be five, eight, maybe 10 hours. But there's going to be hundreds of hours in most cases that your team, the, the frontline people, the, the person taking the order at the counter, the, the guy planting the tree, the repairman working on your car, they're the ones that ultimately the next sale is going to be made or lost by their, their conduct. And when I was thinking about probably the most impactful thing I have to share with you today on your wonderful show, it's this concept around that your external customer service will never, ever exceed your internal customer service. And oftentimes when I receive poor treatment on an airplane or in an airport or at a restaurant or where I get my car worked on or the doctor's office or the department store or wherever, I often say some manager hasn't treated that person, right? Or there's something going on there that that's indicative of how they're treated. And the question that we ask around attitude that we get positive responses, I know that what we're doing there works. We treat our people with dignity and respect. If they have a question for us, we get back to them as fast as we can and managers are trained that way. Because if you're not performing in a way that's great to your team, 
you're giving them license to give substandard work to your customers. And so we stress the concept of external customer service never exceeding your internal customer service and the complementary concept of leaders have to be great at what they want their followers to be good at. I have to be the absolute gold standard at customer service here at Grunder Landscaping Company. Our slogan is where service is always in season. So if I don't deliver a great service, I've just given everyone license to do the same. And I just don't think sometimes as leaders, we realize that what we're doing speaks so loudly, no one can hear what we're saying. So you talked about revisions before. And that's common in any business. There's always editing, revising, tweaking, optimizing to get it right. And hopefully you get it right the first time with a customer. And it makes me think about how you said of asking the right questions. Because again, if you don't ask the right questions and get their feedback and what's in their brain, then you are going to be in a cycle of revisions nonstop. And at the end of the day, it might be the customer's fault, but they're not going to look at it that way. No, you bingo. I couldn't say it any better. You're absolutely right. It's a great analogy. That's exactly part of the thing that we talk about here, that it's important to listen to the customer and not have them go through a bunch of rigmarole because you didn't listen well. You know, a a funny little side note, I always say when I'm speaking to a group, and this is just me personally, I'm never impressed by the server or the waiter or the waitress, whatever you want to call them at a restaurant that doesn't write down your order. Because, okay, you did a little bit of showmanship there and you had a little bit of theatrical performance that you remembered eight people at a table what they (laughs) wanted. But when you're doing that to me, I'm thinking, you know what? You're going to bring my steak back rare. I don't like it rare. I like it medium well. You're not going to get me Brussels sprouts. You're going to get me green beans. And I don't like green beans. And you're going to get my drink order wrong. I would rather get the order right than see this theatrical performance that you're trying to show off. I think exactness, you know, there's so many basic building blocks in a good customer service experience. It ought to be like they don't even realize it until they go someplace else and they're like, this place is terrible compared to Joe's Diner. I mean, they got my meal wrong. It's, yeah, it's brand new and everything, but the service is terrible. It's the experience. It, it's what bonds someone to a business. I really, truly believe it's, it's where the relationship is rooted is how they're treated and how they're made to feel. Yes. Now, going back to the restaurant, I mean, it's obvious that mistakes happen. We're human. And I know that you believe in progress is more important than perfection. Yes, ma'am. So how do you balance both? Well, we role play a lot with that because getting everybody uptight here to think that we're perfectionists and we can't ever make a mistake, that's a bad place to be. And in fact, I can tell you that that inhibited our growth because I am a perfectionist. Mm. And I've had to learn how to deal with that accordingly because I think in in my experience, almost 40 years around a business, I don't think the normal consumer thinks that you're going to do everything perfectly. But I think what they think and what they expect and what is fair is for you to communicate, to not make excuses, to not throw your team under the bus, to, to talk about solutions. So we actually role play a lot with all of our people about that. And, you know, we, we let them know that 
look, mistakes are going to happen. And most rational customers, as long as you own the mistake and start talking about solutions, you're okay. Focus on the what, not the who. Get them happy as fast as you can, own it, and and move on. And um, we find that customers understand that and appreciate that. Now, if every time they do business with you, a mistake has been made, at a certain point, you're not going to have their business because it doesn't matter how nice you are, how fast you respond. Like we talked about when we opened up, you're not blocking and tackling right. And I just don't have time for this anymore. I'm going to try someone else. But mistakes are going to happen. I mean, we we know that. And I think rational people know that. Yes. Going back to asking the right questions again, how do you get your staff to feel comfortable to ask questions, to have a speak-up culture? The biggest thing, Stacey, that we found is role-playing. And role-playing is difficult. It sounds trite and juvenile. When we first started implementing role-playing with some of that, you know, there was people laughing and they were goofing off. And I originally thought, this isn't right. This, this shouldn't be this funny. This, we're, we're goofing off now. We're not taking it serious. But what I found was that the, the role-playing, it did prepare them. And the laughter was good. And, you know, when, when we look at the Navy SEALs, or we look at a tight end in the NFL running a route and catching a touchdown pass, or we look at, we look at Captain Sully that landed the plane in the Hudson River many years ago and saved 100 plus lives. <laughs> they, they were in those pos- positions in a role play. They practiced it. It wasn't real time, but it was it was the situation to where this when the situation presented itself, they could perform accordingly. So I don't think there's any better way than to first of all, first and foremost, make sure your team knows you believe in them and you trust them. When you see them doing what you want them to do, call them out in front of everybody about it. Recognize the good performance and then put them in role play situations so that they get more comfortable that like a Navy SEAL, when the skill is needed upon, they can call on it. And and it just happens naturally. Yes. Now, speaking of role play, uh, I'm seeing a lot of technology come out where there's AI simulation, particularly in a contact center where a customer service agent is going to be able to role play with a simulation before they get on a first call with a customer. There's a lot of use cases with role play, practice, building confidence. What about in your business and constant innovation? What does that mean for you? You know, innovation is just, I think part of it is this drive and desire to get better every single day, to to not think that you're perfect, to not think that you have it all figured out. I think having a culture in your company or your department where you think you have it all figured out, that's very, very dangerous. Um, Stacey, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm 55 years old. And I remember being 35 thinking like, I should know this stuff by now. Why don't I know this? And now I know at 55, like there's no universal owner's manual that we can open up and tell us how to do everything. There are new experiences all the time. I mean, there are some incredible lessons I've learned in the last five years that Yeah, it would have been nice had I known him when I was 35, but guess what? I didn't. So innovation is a mindset. It's about wanting to get better. And it's about not worrying about taking the credit for the successes. I think leaders should take the credit for the failure. I think you 
you eat your failures and you celebrate the successes with the team. I, that's just my perspective on leadership. So innovation can mean a lot of things, but it's rooted in this desire that I want to get better. Mm-hmm. Innovation is a mindset. Write that down, everybody. That is really good. Nobody talks about it from that perspective. Well, we're coming to the end. I told you it goes fast. (laughs) So if I had a ton of CEOs and entrepreneurs and leaders in my room right now, what is that one takeaway for anybody listening that you want them to remember? I think it's what we talked about, that your external customer service will never exceed your internal customer service. And that we as leaders, we're always being watched. And, you know, I remember when my son was three years old and he said something not so nice and he basically repeated what I had said. It was obvious he got it from me. And I don't know that that ever stops in life. Like if if we want our team to, to be good at something, we've got to be great at it. And there's just so much of this we show what's important to us by how we act. You know, you say customer service is important, but you don't do the software upgrade to make it easier to document notes and follow up because it's another $500 a month and you're counting pennies and you don't think you can afford it. I mean, I could go on and on with with the reasons. We've We've got to be able to see what's important to you as the business owner or department head, whatever it is, by what you're doing and what you're spending your resources on, your time. You know, one, one last comment I will make. We often, as owners and leaders, see seminars or webinars, and we tell our team to go to the seminar or get on the webinar, delegating the training to someone else. And, and I sell webinars. <laughs> I sell seminars. I get it. The, the leaders that I have the most respect for, Stacy, are the ones that go through the webinar with their team. They're the ones that go to the seminar, even though they may have been to it before, and they're right there with their team. You know, I heard Dr. John Maxwell many years ago say that there were two kinds of leaders. There's a travel agent leader that tells you about all the great things you should do, but has never done them. And then there's the travel guide leader, which is the one that's right in the middle of that with you, leading the way, saying, I'm here, walk with me. I think that's the best piece of advice I have to give. Wonderful leadership advice, wonderful tips for people listening, whether they're in the landscaping business or any industry, these tactics are very applicable. So thank you for sharing them. Congratulations on your successes. And I look forward to sharing more of you, all that you've done in the show notes. And thank you for being here with us today. Well, you're very kind and congratulations on your success too. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacy Sherman, Doing CX Right.